0: Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing today? Um, Boom. All right. It is Wednesday, April 17. I'm Justin Carey, and welcome to Writing Studies Connected. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Hope you're doing well. Hope you enjoyed the little music by the midnight, which I was able to get working this week, so that was cool. Um, I love that band, and they're great, and they are really cool about people, you know... uh, playing their stuff on Twitch streams, so as long as you give them credit, which I did. So um, I hope everyone's doing well today. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show last week, and uh, I hope you're able to come back and hang out this week. Um, So first things first, uh, you might notice it's just me. Um, There was some scheduling um, issues with the episode that we had originally planned for today. Um, And so... uh, That episode will actually be happening next week. Um, Decolonized Writing, Pedagogy, and Research. uh, We'll be doing that uh, next Wednesday, April 24th. Same time, same place. So come check that out if you're interested. uh, It'll be a really in-depth... We have a whole run-of-show schedule uh, written written out and everything. And um, Deba and I will be having some great um, discussions about uh, decolonized uh, writing pedagogies and what that means and and it should be a really excellent um, episode so uh, and that'll be good because it'll give us a little uh, a little time to really refine what we want to talk about, bring in some more sources and stuff so it should be it'll be good um, to have that next week, so uh, it'll be just me today um, and I do have some cool stuff planned for us to be able to talk about, and that should be really good so um, yeah, so to kick things off, um, I just wanted to start today I thought I would spend some time just sort of sharing um, some of the stuff that I've been working on over the past year that I think might be really interesting to fellow writing studies folks um, a couple of my own projects I thought that would just be a useful thing to to kind of use for today so that's kind of where where we begin and uh, the idea um, and I'll pull some stuff up here on the screen in a moment just to share with you all but the idea uh, of what I want to talk about today has a lot to do with um, my interests in digital technologies, right? So a lot of my work and research and a lot of my own personal um, you know, uh, career stuff has centered around the use of technology in the writing classroom and, and how technology can become a really powerful tool um, if you really think about the way that it works um, and, and more recently I've been thinking a lot about the, the underlying um, the under, almost like the code, the algorithms um, a lot of the sort of uh, bones of that technology and and what's actually happening there. But the idea is, you know, thinking about technology not as a a shiny new toy to play with, but something that can actually benefit writers in a a real and practical way and help develop those writing skills that that all of us, you know, gathered together here are so interested in. Um, And so I've always wanted to use technology uh, in my pedagogy and my teaching. Um, But at the same time, I've not wanted to completely give up on or or go away from more analog technology, so if we're thinking about digital technology in the context of computers, coding, visual design tools, audio video production um, editing online uh working in the cloud, all these kinds of things kind of fall underneath of digital composition tools. but when we go into those spaces as writers what do we what do we lose um when we maybe and this is me talking personally, what do we lose when we kind of you know, um, when we kind of leave behind some of the more analog tools that, that we've used before? you know physical things like day books and journals and um, you know physically creating things uh, out of you know materials like paper and glue and scissors. And that may sound like arts and craftsy, and it is. Um, but I, I, you know I like to think about that. You know how how do those practices, fit in with digital practices. Um and do are those things completely separate or do they need to be thought about sort of holistically and together? Um, Kind of like the Jedi and the Sith. I'm wearing my Star Wars t-shirt today in celebration of the brand new Star Wars Episode 9 trailer that launched on Friday. So um (laughs) so go check out that trailer. If you haven't watched it yet, go, go, I'll wait. Anyway, so I've always thought about this, this sort of uh, dichotomy between analog and digital tools. And that has led me to thinking about um, how there might be a way to blend those two things together, to kind of bridge that gap um, between the analog practices that we have been honing for years and years and years and some of these new sort of digital composing practices that are relatively newer um, within the last 10 to 15 years, right? Um, how can those two things cohese together? Um, and so my my kind of idea about this, I guess, is this is this notion of of a, of a sort of a hybrid composing pedagogy, where you can use some really interesting. Um, I guess you could say modern technology tools in conjunction with some really good sort of analog writing practices to create something that is unique, I think, and effective um, as a composition. So I, I thought we could start there and I would just share a little something that I was working on recently. Um, and, you know, please feel free to. Uh, I'm going to transition to a different screen here please feel free to jump into the chat at any point, ask me questions, I'm happy to respond to any questions that might be cropping up there in the chat, um, and I would love to do that. So don't be shy, Uh, please ask questions and let me know. So this was just a little piece that I put onto Medium um, last fall, because I did a lot of work with this um, in my classes last fall here at UNC Charlotte, Um, and I, I sort of called this article Mind the Gap, Bridging Digital Portfolios with Physical Artifacts. Um, and one of the, one of the most, I guess you could say ubiquitous or perhaps one of the most recognizable, at least one of the most recognizable uh, um, tools that we can immediately see here on, on my piece is, is the QR code. Um, does anyone know what, what that stands for? Quick response. Uh, QR stands for quick response. Um, it says it right there. <laughs> you read it right there on the article. Um, yeah, QR codes uh, we've seen these we see these everywhere, right We see these on the food packages that we buy, on uh, you know, DVDs and movies that we, that we pick up, um, on posters along the road as we're walking places., well, we see this all the time everywhere. Um, and these, these things, essentially all they really are, is data encoded to look a particular way so that a phone's camera, can easily recognize it, right? Um, If you were to hold your camera up to a URL in a browser, it might not be able to see that properly, but if you hold your phone up to these little squares arranged in this particular order, it can see those squares very effectively and respond to whatever data is encoded in that QR code. In this case, and this is usually what's there, is a link to something, a, a URL link, and it's funny. It's really interesting because QR codes are actually like one-to-one representations of the letters and numbers that comprise a URL link. Um, if you were to generate a QR code and like change little numbers here and there, you'd actually see the the squares and the configuration and the picture of the QR code change d- d- dynamically as you changed the the numbers and letters there that are part of the. Of the, of the URL link so it's, it's a really interesting thing in fact my colleague Peter he does a lot of poems and he likes to he likes to write uh, poetry on Twitter and he wrote this one really neat poem um, about uh, some trees and he was using the sort of metaphor of a QR code to represent this idea of these trees in this poem so he sent me this thing and, and so then I took I just for fun I took the poem right And anyone can do this took the poem and just converted that into a QR code uh, through a free QR code you know, website. Um, not a link to the poem, not like a URL link to that poem, but the actual words itself of the poem. Um, so like the letters that make up the words that Peter wrote, uh, I converted those into, you know, I, I didn't convert it. The website converted it. I, I just plopped it in there uh, to a QR code visual representation of that of that poem, so stuff like that is cool to me. And again, it's that way to kind of, you know, bridge different composition styles. Um, so anyway, so my work here, my, our little article, it started off with QR codes as a, as a as a as a bridging mechanic, right? As a way to move between physical mediums and digital compositions. Because with the QR code, you can print you can print it, right? You can print it off and you can put it somewhere. And then it becomes an object in the physical world, right? Um, It's a physical world object that is connected to a digital artifact. And it allows for a user to physically interact with that digital artifact in a unique way. And that's the piece that I really found interesting, right? This, This idea of how, you know, from a rhetorical standpoint, how does that change the way we think about writing and the way we think about texts and the way we think about how we interact with those texts if we are... If we are sort of interacting with our digital texts in a physical way, what does that what does that change? What does that do for us? Those questions are interesting to me. And so, so I developed this little piece of writing, and um, you can check this out on my Medium account. You can just go to this website called medium.com, and you can search for me if you'd like to leave comments or read the article or whatever you'd like to do with it. Um, and I just kind of, I'll just read the opening paragraph for those who are just listening as you know, on the audio version of this, I'll just read some of it. So the part one's called the quick response code, and this is kind of what I just talked about. You ever seen one of these things? It's a QR code that stands for quick response in case you were wondering. This QR code is actually the title of this article. It's just another way of encoding those digital letters up above into a visual language that cameras can understand. It might look like a bunch of random squares to our eyes, but your phone camera can see those squares and decode them into letters the same way our brains can decode letters into language that we understand. I think that's pretty cool, right? Um, All right, hey. A. Mitchell 001 says, love the way you connect decoding the squares with how the brain decodes language. That's awesome. Actually, that's a whole new perspective for me. I'd love to learn more about that, thinking about, you know, is is our QR codes sort of a a decoding, encoding extension of how our brains decode and encode uh, stimulation, visual stimulation, everything else? Uh, That's really cool. Thank you so much for for hopping in there and saying hi in the chat. That's awesome. Um, And feel free to say anything else you'd like as we go through here. Um, a little history of the QR codes then in this in this little piece I wrote. Uh, uh, funny fact, developed by Toyota to manage their inventory is where these things sort of came from. Um, and so then kind of getting past the history of QR codes a bit into part two of my piece, uh, it's called Writing Portfolios in Jelly Boxes. Um, So we do a lot of portfolio stuff in the university writing program here at UNC Charlotte. Our capstone project is a final portfolio, a tool that's used to do all sorts of different things for student writers' reflection and curation and all these things. Um, And and so um, I was really thinking about, you know, how can we use these ideas about uh, digital, physical, analog composing practices and sort of incorporate that into a portfolio experience. And what really kicked this off was our library, our esteemed library, uh, recently launched this amazing new uh, visual uh, lab area called Area 49. And in this place, they have this really amazing makerspace. And in the makerspace are these really amazing 3D printers. Um, so there's those uh, the picture that I have in my in my thing I wrote. Uh, those are called jelly boxes. Those 3D printers, that brand is called a jelly box. And, you know, I, I've I've, I, I've heard about 3D printers and I was, you know, casually aware of them, but certainly not an expert on how they worked. Uh, my brother has one. He showed me a few things from his and I thought it was pretty cool. You know, I thought maybe I could 3D print, you know, I don't know, like action figures or something. That'd be fun. Um, But then when I really started thinking about it, I began to realize that perhaps 3D printers are a really useful tool to do the same thing that QR codes do, uh, present us with physical artifacts that can bridge the gap between the analog world and the digital world. Um, And so that's kind of where I went, um, thinking about how could we do this? How could we create a writing portfolio that is digitally composed but exists in the physical world? Um, and So this is my first draft of that, and yes that's like two, there's about 17 more Starbucks coffee cups just off camera of that picture. Uh, there seems to be, there's always a plethora of Starbucks uh, cups around here, it seems. Um, so this was my first draft of this idea, a, a simple cube, um, 3D printed with a QR code on it, um, thinking that someone could just hand this to somebody and say, hey, here's my portfolio Check out all my work, right? It's all right here. I can just give you this thing. Um, Cool idea, did not work. Draft one was a failure, Um, primarily because QR codes, as I come came to find out, are extremely difficult to 3D print because they are quite complex and they have to be very precisely generated so that a camera can see them. So this one did not work, Um, but it was a good first try. There's a little bit you can see sort of some of the limitations here of this medium. Uh, it's, you know, these, these lines have to be perfect, right? So it was a little too small. It didn't quite work out. Um, so I went back to the drawing board. And the next time I made it a little bit bigger and I tried to sort of color it in with some permanent marker there, Sharpie. Also, it did not work. <laughs> so I was like, yes, nothing's working. Um, let's let's keep trying, so then I tried a few other designs, right like I tried this blue one um and again, you know, I tried a couple different sides, a few different things, as you can see uh the the three d printing didn't quite work the way I wanted it to, and this could be a limitation of the of the hardware that we have access to at the library there i don't I don't know the the levels of three d printers or if certain ones are better or certain ones are worse um but you know, and that one looked I thought that one was gonna work, right that looks pretty good um but unfortunately, no. Uh, a Mitchell says taking risks and failing is a key part of the composing process. Indeed, it is. Um, <laughs> ironically, the other uh, I have another article around here somewhere that's all about that too. So yeah, I'm all about the failing because I'm a big, I'm a big video game player, right? So I've I've been I've been uh, being taught how to fail for the last you know 30 years of my life. So I'm pretty good at failing. Um, And I do it all the time. Uh, So, yeah. So you can see And then this one I tried to do like an inlaid version. Um, At this point, I began to see some real connections between the writing process and creating these 3D objects. Um, For those of you who are listening on the podcast version, unfortunately, you won't be able to see these pictures. But if you wanted to take a look at these at some point, feel free to just head over to the website medium.com and search for Justin R. Carey. You'll find this article right away and you can look at these pictures as much as you'd like. Um, So back to the tinkerboard Board after this sort of abject failure. Um, Eventually, after a lot of sort of months of trial and error and design changes and things, I finally got to this point and I finally was able to create one um, that worked. This orange one works. Now the iPhone, I have an iPhone, Um, the iPhone's built-in camera can scan QR codes for you. I don't know if you knew that, but if you just point your iPhone camera at any QR code, it will. It has a QR code reader built into it. So ideally, I wanted to make the ease of access part really nice, um, so that anyone with a phone or camera could just scan it and have access. Unfortunately, this design did not work with the iPhone's camera built-in app. I guess the QR code algorithm in there just wasn't quite strong enough to be able to capture this But I did download, like, a discrete, you know, an app that is just for QR code scanning. And it worked. It worked finally with that app. So what you're seeing there, that coaster, kind of a coaster idea, um, is my own career portfolio. Like, that physical object is the thing that I will be turning in, like, when I do my reviews and stuff at my career. So all of my work, my writing, my reflection, my... Projects, all the things I've done over the last several years are all in that little thing that you can just hand to someone and say, Here you go, here's everything. So I love that idea. Like, I just think it's a really neat way to, you know, again, kind of draw out digital objects into the physical world in a really interesting way. Um, so, yeah. And I'll just read like the closing paragraph, I guess, for the podcast listeners out there. Uh, students in my writing courses are working right now to create and 3D print their portfolios. This process makes something tangible out of the often ephemeral content we create online and in digital composing spaces. 3D printing is a way to bridge that gap between the physical world and the digital world in a real way and make these digital compositions more real for students. I hope to continue this work in new ways moving forward, um, so please leave me some feedback. In the end, the potential for this combination of QR codes, 3D printed objects, and digital portfolios makes for a fascinating journey into new composing processes and offers students new ways to publish and share their work. So. Um, that was a really neat project. I really loved working on that, and uh, thanks for listening to that. I hope that maybe you got something out of that. I thought that would be a cool kind of way to open the show, just sharing with you some of the cool stuff that I've been that I've been working on, and I've got my little coaster. It's sitting right over there in the corner. I should have grabbed it, but you can see it in that in that picture. Um, so yeah, that was one of my projects from last semester. Um, moving on from there, I did want to take a moment now that we're kind of about twenty minutes into the show to talk about something really exciting coming up this fall for the university writing program here at UNC Charlotte. So I'm going to hop over to this website. All right. Um, I am absolutely honored and pleased to even, you know, to be a part of this. I I worked, I've been working on these myself for the last several years, and uh, coming up this fall is the UWP's sixth annual conference on writing studies. We've done one of these every year for the past six years, and they're awesome. We get to go back to our uptown campus at UNC Charlotte. It's a beautiful campus. Um, It's right kind of in the metropolitan area of the city, so there's all sorts of cool stuff to do around there. And it's a really fun and invigorating day to go down there, meet with colleagues, learn new stuff, attend sessions, maybe present, um, get a nice lunch, and then maybe hang out after it's all over. So it's, 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 it's awesome. And the people who work tirelessly to put this conference together deserve all the praise in the world, because it is a ton of work, trust me, I can tell you from experience, and this year just looks like they are knocking it out of the ballpark. So um, I'm just going to read through this uh, out loud, because there are folks who are watching here live, and there's people listening on the podcast later, so I do just want to get this information out there, so I'm just going to read through this. Uh, The conference this year is called Risks and Rewards in Writing Studies Classrooms. Um, It will be located at our Center City campus, and it's going to be taking place on October 25th. 2019 Um, the call for proposals for this conference has just been released today so we're really excited to be able to debut this here and if anyone out there is watching or listening and you want to submit a call or a proposal for this conference please do so because it's going to be amazing I'm telling you this one sounds awesome Um, so here's here's the deal here's what it's all about and I'm reading this from the CFP we need to pull back the veneer and take a close look at the risks we take identify the rewards we have realized and hope to realize, and discuss how we balance the risks with the rewards of such action. What are the risks of playing it safe? In our syllabi? With our home institutions? And that's a quote from Joyce Locke Carter from the 4Cs Conference keynote address in 2016. It has been three years since Joyce Locke Carter called on compositionists to consider the risks and rewards of our everyday practices in our classrooms our research, our programs and departments in the time since, many have taken up the change to take risks in their teaching and research and push the discipline out of its comfort zone by engaging in conversations on language, diversity, and technology use in the teaching of writing, first-year composition rhetoric and composition, and technical communication classes. This wave of risk-taking recently create, recreated in Asayo B. keynote address at the 2019 Conference on College Composition and Communication. In a way, provocatively called on the field of writing studies and instruction to seriously consider the risks associated with not challenging assumptions of dominant language practice as the foundation of our discipline. Many ask themselves, but how? And with what consequences? So that, that was a really fascinating keynote address, and we should totally do an episode about that. Um, and I love that this conference is taking up the mantle of that discussion. Um, Lara Gonzalez, our keynote speaker, takes the risk of addressing these assumptions. Arguing that instructions of writing should value language diversity in writing in digital spaces, Gonzalez sees us all engaged in acts of translation. Students are translating across named languages, this is a quote, with the same language and or across various digital tools and platforms. As instruct, end quote, As instructors of writing, taking the risk of recognizing and valuing this work of translation allows us the reward of seeing how, when, and why translators use different rhetorical strategies to make information accessible for specific audiences at specific moments in time. It is clear at this moment the field is contending with how much risk we are willing to take in our classrooms and profession. Such calls to change methods and worldviews inherently involve risk. This conference celebrates that risk. We call on participants to consider what risks they have taken and what rewards they have seen across a variety of spaces in the teaching of writing. The University Writing Program invites proposals for the UNC Charlotte Sixth Annual Conference on Writing Studies, formerly known as the UWP Conference at UNC Charlotte, that address these related issues. So if you are interested in any of the following things, please hit us up, submit a proposal, and come to this conference because it is going to be amazing i am really really pumped for this um so if you're interested in the risks and rewards of working outside of mandatory curriculum and or parent expectations the risks and rewards imposed on or demanded of students when we take risks in our classes the risks and rewards that have generated innovations within our research the community partnerships that have been forged and the risks and rewards of community engaged scholarship and teaching the risks and rewards of changing requirements renaming programs etc Uh, Risks and rewards of focusing on grammar and or ignoring grammar, the risks and rewards in trying new assignment formats, multimodal, electronic, and or encouraging new topics, the innovations that have generated risks and rewards, and or the risks that have generated innovations in your classrooms, programs, writing, and research, as well as a few other related questions. How much risk are we willing to take in our own dealings with writing programs and teaching? And what institutional and curricular constraints inhibit you from committing to risk in your classroom? All this stuff about risk is awesome. I mean, I just think this is just such an important conversation. Um, and then I love that. Like, this is my favorite part. In the spirit of risk taking, we invite a variety of presentation options: traditional presentations, panels, workshops, lightning talks, campfire sessions, fish bowls, themed themed solution rooms. Now, I might be I might be taking that one. That sounds pretty pretty awesome. A themed solution room. Let's go. Um, and other formats. Um, So, you know, if you want to submit a proposal, you know, include your description of what that's going to look like when you submit. Um, 250 to 500 word abstract, due by the end of July. There's a link there to submit and propose your proposal. Um, If you want to head over to that URL link, uh, it is, I can read it out loud. Um, Well, it's a Google document. So I would suggest that you head over to our uh, pages.uncc.edu slash writing conference slash 2019 dash conference dash risks dash and dash rewards okay uh, I can actually put that in the chat room as well there you go chat just for you all right so I appreciate you listening and a uh, hashtag CWS19 um, conference on writing studies 19 hit us up on twitter october 25th be there it's going to be amazing um right before halloween my favorite holiday so i can't wait uh the committee responsible for this conference uh, like i said at the beginning they they work tirelessly they work so hard and it's going to be awesome i'll be there you can come hang out with me (laughs) if you want um we'll get some coffee and chat about all this stuff it should be amazing um all right moving on from there we won't have a... This week's show is probably only going to be about half an hour or so, um, you know, just because we're just, you know, we um, we rescheduled the the bigger discussion for next week. Um, but uh, I do have a couple of other things I thought we could check out. Where is my... Okay. So um, I was looking at the Chronicle of Higher Ed today. Um Kind of in line with some of the augmented reality, three D printing, digital analog stuff I was talking about earlier, and I found a cool, a couple of interesting pieces that I thought we could just look at real quick on here. Um, the first one I looked at uh, was this, this one here, which I wasn't very, I wasn't that impressed by really, um, but it has some interesting starting point ideas. Um, Self directed learning and augmented reality, how to teach Gen Z. It's from October of last year, so 2018, um, but it's it's got some interesting ideas here about like. Um, You know how one of the things is this idea of let students tell their own stories using the technology that they're familiar with and I think you know I do this all the time Um, I we do a lot of multimodal composing and I'm always opening that up to you know what students know and what they want to use and and how they can think rhetorically about the digital composing tools that they are familiar with and they're they're, they're, they want to check out and use so as long as it all comes back to that idea of how are you thinking about these things rhetorically right Um, so that's an interesting this is an interesting you know uh, piece um, this idea of creating immersive environments using augmented reality and QR codes again gets to that idea of sort of bridging the gap between the digital and the physical. Um, flexible learning spaces is another cool idea that's kind of presented in here. Um, and so this is a little bit of a short shorter piece, but it brings up some interesting points about sort of how we might rethink you know a, a new wave of students coming at us with, you know, a lot of new demands and a lot of new needs and a lot of new tools at their disposal that they can do awesome things with. Um, and just, you know, reminding ourselves as instructors, as faculty, to keep an open mind, you know, because, like, you know, we, you know, and I'm speaking personally here, but we sometimes get set in our ways a little bit and we want to try to maybe deconstruct some of that. And one way to do that is to look to these students who, who are kind of doing these newer things. Um, so that piece was kind of interesting and. I thought we just maybe click on this one because it said video games Um, not just for video games virtual reality joins the classroom Um, so this piece is that's that's the title of this from June 21st 2018 Uh, how can virtual reality enhance learning Virtual reality has undeniable appeal. Strap on a headset and you're flying high above the ground. Put on special glasses and a spaceship floats in front of your eyes. These immersive tools are great for gaming, but what role might they play in teaching? Um, so this piece goes on to discuss some of those roles. Uh, I sat in on several of the discussions, and while the possibilities for immersive technology and education were clear, so were the challenges. Many participants wondered how their institutions could encourage faculty members to think about the pedagogical opportunities when the learning curve is so steep. Is it that, Steve? And the experience is so different from what they are used to. On some campuses, interest had been limited for these reasons. They also wondered how much they should invest in space, equipment, and training. Um, Those are all good concerns, but... um, Other campus projects focused on the power of immersion. Syracuse University Journalism students are using VR in storytelling. Hamilton College is exploring ways to use 3D tools to prepare orchestra conductors. Florida International University has built a first-year experience around students working together through VR on a community project. Yale has been encouraging its faculty members to explore the use of immersive reality in teaching. these are kind of vague examples Uh, other institutions are exploring topics in art engineering and biology Um, in several cases HP Inc donated equipment and technical support to campuses Um, that's a good point actually HP uh, has a really just as a side note if you're interested HP has a really cool um, augmented reality suite of tools that are free to use called HP reveal if you're you check that out real quick HP reveal these are actually really cool, and I use these sometimes for, to, do it, to, to do something that's kind of an extension of 3D, uh, of QR code work, which is augmented reality work. Um, and if you're unfamiliar with augmented reality, the idea is to use your phone screen as sort of a lens or a portal through which to see the real world, um, but to see the real world in sort of a digital way. Uh, so you can, let's see if they have some examples here. doesn't look like they have like I guess there's just some random videos online that maybe... so to show you how to... yeah we don't need to do that stuff um, we can just stick with HP reveals website um, so just something to think about is you know as a tool to check out uh, HP reveal is it used to be called something else but now it's this uh, let's see what this says here. You're just kind of like but essentially it's a way to create your own do-it-yourself augmented reality experiences this is a cool way to kind of engage students and, and there's some stuff there we can do an episode maybe later about all that stuff um let's see what else did I want to I was thinking about kind of scrolling through the the Twitter feed for writing studies for a little bit Um, there's always cool stuff there but you know you can check that out but there's always some really good stuff happening on on writing studies Twitter Um, we don't necessarily have to go down that rabbit hole right at the moment let me check in on chat all right we're good there so yeah, that that's kind of what I wanted to cover today. I just wanted to share some of my own personal work on this idea of moving between physical and digital compositions. Um, and I would love to answer any questions or respond to anyone who might be watching. You're welcome to, to uh, chime in on the chat room there and um, And remember, these episodes will be, uh, these are all found on our YouTube channel. So you can just go to YouTube and search for Writing Studies Connected if you'd like to watch these episodes at a later time at your own personal leisure. Um, You can also find us on uh, our podcast. So uh, there's lots of ways to access the podcast. Um, You can go to iTunes and subscribe to the UWP podcast. You can go to our website, which is writing.uncc.edu. And if you scroll down here, you'll see a link right here to the UWP podcast. And the episodes will be embedded here um, as soon as they are available. As you can see, the podcast episode from last week, April 10th, is there. And you can listen to that as you're driving or as you're running or whatever. You can just kind of listen to my amazing angelic voice uh, telling you all this stuff. Uh, But soon, soon, I promise, there will be other voices on this show. Um, I am – we're doing that. Um, So, yeah, check it out there. Uh, You can – do youtube you can do twitch and you can do podcasts so it's available in all of those places well that kind of brings me to the end of what i wanted to, to kind of do today as i mentioned this will be a little bit of a shorter episode just because of um you know some scheduling rearrangements and that's cool we'll, we'll pick it up next week next week should be you know the the full hour definitely um, we're going to be having an amazing episode next week about decolonized writing pedagogy and research um uh, Deborati Duda will be here to talk about that with me. She's got some amazing ideas on this. We're going to be bringing in some really cool research, um, and it's going to be a great, great discussion. Um, will the conference accept topics from K-12 educators? Absolutely. Uh, this conference is open to anyone in the writing studies field. So if you are uh, Pooch371, just ask a the question there in chat about uh, what will be accepted at this conference. Yes, please, if you want to submit a proposal, just follow the Google form there. So t- type in what you want. Let us know what you're thinking, and we'll see we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, please feel free to propose and submit. Um, we have in, we have teachers from secondary, primary, all the way up through higher education uh, attending and presenting at this conference. So we're we're always looking for new people and new ideas. So please, yeah, please uh, send us what you what you're thinking about. It's going to be awesome. Um, I always enjoy the conference. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Um, And the two times that I uh, worked on it as part of that committee, um, it was a ton of work, but the payoff felt good because it was an amazing collaborative uh, idea sharing experience. So, yeah. Okay, well, let me switch back over to my main page here. And, uh, yeah, thanks, everybody, for hanging out with me today. I hope your your day is going well. Um, As I've said before, if you want to get in touch, there's my contact information. You can always reach me on Twitter at Justin R. Carey. Uh, You're welcome to email me at my UNC Charlotte email address, which is jcary one at uncc.edu. And thank you so much for hanging out with Writing Studies Connected. We'll be here live every week on Wednesdays from 10 to (laughs) 11-ish. And until next time... Thank you, everyone. Oh, thank you so much, A. Hey, Mitchell. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you enjoyed the episode. And thank you so much for just being there and hanging out and chatting in the, in the chat room. So thanks, everyone. And I will see you next time on Writing Studies Connected.